Hello and welcome to the Business of Freelancing podcast. Thanks for joining us today. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about client communication over text, video, or email, what you should know, and how to have a good time communicating with your clients. On today's episode of the Business of Freelancing, we have Mark. Hi. We have Reuven. Hi there. And I'm Kai. So let's talk a little bit about client communication. And to kick off this conversation, I'm curious, how has your communication with clients evolved or changed over time? Uh, Ruben, do you want to start us off? So sure. So I've been doing this for a long time. Um, so we began with clay tablets. Okay, maybe not that long. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so email has always been a pretty steady part of the communication, but um, it's always been mixed in with phone calls. So in the beginning, um, like, you know, back when I started, it would be mostly phone calls. And then we'd maybe confirm things via email. And now it's pretty common for me to get email out of the blue from someone. And we'll even exchange some email back and forth. You know, what do I do? How do I do it? And then we'll arrange to have a phone call after they've done. I, I mean, I guess they've done the sort of vetting of me and I've done the vetting of them. And then, okay, it's worth setting up a call. Um, and in Israel, everyone uses WhatsApp. That's like very, very standard. And so it's not uncommon. Just last week, I got a WhatsApp message from someone saying, Hey, I heard your name. Can we set something up? And that's like, that's not going to be a big company. That's going to be like, you know, very small startup sort of thing. Um, but still promising and useful. Um, what does not happen? And this is, has nothing to do with like coronavirus and everything is in person meetings to set things up. Very, very, very rarely will I have a company say, well, before you come do training, come, let's meet for two hours to talk about it. Um, I used to have people do that, uh, either before doing training or even do a consulting gig. And that is just like unheard of nowadays, thankfully. I think mine's sort of followed a similar path in that it's definitely 90, 95% weighed in the, in the sort of email category. And then over time, I've almost seen these like micro evolutions, so especially with, uh, with COVID and everything as well. So for example, a lot of the, a lot of the work, the introduction, the communication will be done via email in the beginning. And then client calls, phone calls have sort of evolved into uh, Zoom calls. And then the evolution sort of within Zoom calls themselves has been, now I always ask the person, like, are we doing with or without video? Because that's <laughs> like, I need to know what I need to prepare sort of in the background, what I need to prepare visually. So it's interesting because that's a very like that's, I feel like kind of a micro evolution. The very beginning when video calls started, it was always like, oh, do I turn my camera on? I don't know. And there was almost this like awkwardness of you didn't know if the other person would have that on. Um, and now I feel like it's the norm to straight up ask, like, are we doing it? Are we doing a video call or is it audio only? So I think that's sort of, again, like a, a micro evolution of something that's become so mainstream. Um, I'm also curious. Bye. Yeah, sorry. I, I need to adopt that. I need to start asking people, are we doing video or not in advance? Literally, like, three hours ago, I had, <laughs> uh, like, we had set up to do a Skype conversation. And I, of course, go with my video on, and he has his video off. And I was like, okay, well, like, what do I do now? Now, in the end, I had to screen, like, do screen sharing, so I guess I need to have my video on. But what do you know? Just ask. Yeah, huh. right? Who knew? Brilliant. <laughs> and I feel like if I leave it up to the client, they're usually – they're usually open enough to say like, oh, no, I haven't had my morning coffee yet or or whatever the, the case may be to have it or not. Um, 
Yeah. I've definitely found that just asking has saved a lot of like little awkwardness at the beginning for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, uh, similar for me, uh, complete agreement on sort of the microevolution in video calls to it being, I don't know, like consent-based is the phrase that keeps coming to mind. Like, okay, what are the parameters for this call? Oh, it's 30 minutes. It's just audio. Great. Who's preparing the agenda? It makes it easier to step into it rather than like, oh, two people have their video on. I haven't done my hair. <laughs> what are we talking about today? Let's just riff for an hour and a half. It, uh, it's important to sort of ask the questions and just figure out what the scope of the meeting is, what preparation is needed. Mm-hmm. Like you said, I think brevity has definitely become super valuable, especially when it's like, it's almost socially acceptable to be like, look, I don't want to take up too much of your time and then just diving right in <laughs> as opposed mm-hmm. to a lot of small talks. I think that's almost evolved to be like a, a considerate and not only socially acceptable, but a considerate thing to do also at the beginning of a call. Yeah, completely agreed. Uh, uh, for me, at least, I think, uh, the increase in like video calls folks have been doing over the past three, six, 12 months has helped people see like, oh, there's a bit of an additional cognitive load here. My body is like, oh, I see a human, but it's not the same thing as being in a room or talking on the phone. It sort of stokes the brain fires in a different way. And you have three or four calls in a day over a couple of days in a week. Suddenly it's like, why am I so drained? Well, because you're doing this thing, your body isn't quite used to it. It's hitting from different angles. And suddenly it's like, why am I burnt out? Oh, it's because I had nine video calls this week. Let's figure out how to make it less taxing. And for me, that often is, let's turn off the video. Let's have a shorter call. Let's have an agenda just so it's easy to jump in. I hadn't really thought of that as cognitive load, but you're probably right. I mean, I experienced this a ton because, I mean, I've done it for years, but especially now I'm doing all my training online with either WebEx or Zoom. And I have this, (laughs) most of my students at most of the companies actually turn their video off. Uh, and I beg them to keep it on because for my sake, then I can see everyone. And I feel like I'm actually teaching a group as opposed to just talking to my screen. Um, but I-, I can understand that for them, this is new. This is difficult. This is annoying. And so they just all turn their cameras off and they can, I mean, I don't know if they're tuning in, not tuning in. Some of the time, most of the time they are. Um, but I hadn't thought of that as like being more relaxing for them, that having the camera on them is 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 taxing and um, they they want to reduce that load. I don't know about you guys, but whenever I turn my video off in a meeting, my body, I never think I'm tense, but I suddenly just like relax a little bit more. There's something that's just like, oh, I'm on camera. I better be on camera. And then turning it off, it's like, oh, this is just a voice conversation or just a conversation now. Yeah. I'm also really curious too, um, if there's any extrovert listeners, if they could weigh in. But uh, I also wonder too, if it is like a, uh, almost like an energetic drain because of being an introvert, potentially. I always wonder if, and I don't know if Reuven, if you sort of identify as more of an extrovert, um, I sense that Kai, you're probably like myself a bit more introverted. Uh, but if you identify as an extrovert, maybe that actually does give you energy kind of seeing people's faces and being able to interact. So that's something that I'm actually really curious about if it is the same sort of mental load on everyone, or if that's maybe a differentiating factor too. Look, I've often made the analogy between like the tra- doing training and being a stand-up comedian um, or performing on stage that it's this dance between you and the audience. Um, and so in Israel, people are very engaged, very interactive. 
Like, they'll tell you you're stupid, you're wrong. Maybe not stupid, but they'll tell you you're wrong. And what are you talking about? That's nonsense. Um, in Europe and the U.S., people are, are a little more reserved. And in China, nothing. Like, absolutely nothing. So that has ironically prepared me in many ways to teach online, where I have to, what I call, fill the room. Like, I have to provide my own interactions. Um, but it's way easier, more fun, more interesting, and I think better for everyone, not just myself selfishly, but for the participants, if they participate. Um, but they're not there. They, they, they're doing this once in a while. Um, but some companies seem to do more online uh, and have done it for years. And those companies definitely have a corporate culture where it tends to be more successful in my experience. But yeah, if I tell a joke and like either people laugh and I see it or it falls flat and I see it, either way, um, <laughs> like, like, like either way, like the, the seeing definitely contributes. Yeah, you're right. Like it, it gives you an audience. Otherwise, it's be at a meeting, a training, whatever. It's hard just not seeing some face or not seeing some response. Suddenly, it's just going out into the void, at least in my experience, where if you have even just like one or two people out of a dozen or two dozen or a hundred, you know who to focus on. You have a couple of faces to look at to say like, oh, is this point hitting where it should be or is it just falling? But again, my, my time, like, I mean, it, it's a cultural thing. It's like not they are bad, but like my time in China with their sort of culture of how things work in a classroom um, has been excellent for me getting ready for this online training and truth be told for doing YouTube videos where there I have to, or like preparing my online courses where I have to pretend I'm talking to someone energetic and there's an audience there, even though there is definitely no audience there. There's definite on the flip side of it. I would say there is an advantage to having when you're doing client calls, especially one-on-one, -on -one, having them being able to see you and having you be able to see them because there's so much that's sort of unspoken in body language. And also if there's something that you can see that maybe you're explaining to them that's too technical, you can kind of see the eyes glaze over when they start, to, <laughs> when they, when you start to lose them, which, which can be really good feedback for you to know and, and be able to sort of redirect or pull yourself back in. So I do feel like sort of like everything in life, it's, it's a balancing act of, um, of like how much you can take on without, without burning out. Cause, uh, like you were saying, Kai, definitely having like three or four calls back to back by the end. I mean, you're ultimately not doing the client any favors too, because if, you, if by the end of the fourth call, it's like, you can't really concentrate properly. I know that's what I'm like. Um, then it's hard to really sort of hone in on how you can best serve them for sure. Maybe maybe let's talk about like a different context for a couple of minutes. Uh, uh, so we've talked about video so far. How do you guys approach client communication or communications with leads, prospects, whatever, when it comes to email instead of video and voice? I guess, is it something you intentionally think about to the point of like, oh, I want to create templates for these scenarios or this is my follow-up strategy or is it a bit more organic Let's respond in the way it's needed at the time it's needed. I think for the most part for me, it depends on depends on the scenario. There's definitely projects that are like big feature. They have lots of components going on to their business and it needs to be like a high touch situation. And then you can, there's almost the ability to, you need to be able to suss out how how involved in not only creating the project you are but in the project management too so then it's like so there's there's a ton that gets done over email but i would also say that there's this tipping point of when is 
email too much because maybe there's too many people involved? And then at what point do you bring it over into like a project, more of a project management software? Um, and I think that's, that's something that I often struggle with because my clients, a lot of the times are so used to email and they would prefer just to like shoot emails back and forth, which is great. But it's like to have everything sort of everything organized. So you have it at a glance. I mean, I definitely do that on my end, uh, whether it's in like Google docs or a spreadsheet or a notion or something like that too. But, uh, I always wonder like, at what point do you guys, uh, keep going with email with clients versus when does it get too big also to bring over into like a project management platform? I, I'm slightly allergic to project management platforms, <laughs> at least the multiplayer approach. I'm in Notion like all the time. It's so fun for me. But when it's like, okay, let's get the client, two of the client's team members in there, suddenly it's a bit too much overhead for me. So I'll typically approach it as email primarily and first off. So if there are a number of things to talk through, I might send over a short email and say, hey, here are three questions I need your input on, details included below. But when those emails start to get too long, hey, there are seven things I need your input on and three of them are huge decisions, then I'll usually escalate or elevate it to a phone call or a video call. Hey, here's an agenda. These are the things to talk through. Here's some of the context for these conversations. And these are the decisions we need to reach or at least start moving towards and have it as you know a group or a one-on-one -on -one phone or video conversation just to talk through the bigger things. But uh that's kind of how I straddle it. Email on one side, calls on the other. No project management software really in the middle. How about you, Ruben? <laughs> so, Kai, you earlier used the word strategy uh, in conjunction with email. <laughs> um, and I think it would, it would, I'd be hard-pressed to think of any strategy that I, that I employed. Um, it's basically they email me, I email them. Like it's very, it, it's basically a, a written version of a phone call or just me speaking. And, and I think that is in many ways possible um, simply because I have one, maybe two points of contact at any given company. Um, and we already have an established relationship typically, or if we don't, then we get that up and running. And then it's just emailing back and forth. Like what would the dates be for the training? There's no project management software involved because there's no project. They We basically agree on what the scope of the training will be. Um, and very typically, they'll call me up. We'll, we'll have a phone meeting for an hour at like some companies. Let's talk about that. We have very special needs. And I listen to them for 45, 50 minutes, say, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I say, you know, I think this course would be perfect for you. And they say, yes, how did you know? Um, and so <laughs> thus, their very special needs are served by my off-the-shelf product. Um, if you're any of my clients listening to this, that is, of course, not true for you. But like I, <laughs> but like in terms of email strategy, it's just keep it going and try to schedule things. Because the sooner I can put something on my calendar and on their calendar, um, it's not a done deal until they like, you know, sign POs and so forth. But it's 95% there, basically, once that's done. Um, I'll also add that it continues to astonish me that these major like fortune 100 companies have like one person two people in charge of training and you email with them and you set updates and maybe there's like some fancy software behind the scenes and some of them are starting to do some invoicing stuff and purchase order stuff but at the end of the day it's just good solid communication with the people from those those companies um, and so i tend to be 
very bad about responding to people on time because I'm so overwhelmed with email and I'm trying to get better at it because someone actually called me out on it recently. Like I have a big client and she said, I love working with you. Everything is great. But sometimes it takes you two to three weeks to get back to me. And I really need you to respond soon to this. I realized, Ooh, she's noticed that's bad. Um, so it's nice to be informal and chat with people and so forth, but it still needs to happen and happen in a timely way. So they won't write you off. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm also curious what your guys, um, sort of boundaries are with, uh, clients who want to text you. <laughs> Cause I know I've made mine pretty clear. Like we have a, we have a period of time during launch, uh, when I am available to them during text also during reasonable hours, I had someone text me, I think at like 1230, like after midnight once. And I was like, no, this isn't going to fly. Um, so during, I guess, launch week, uh, it's okay. But I am pretty clear afterwards uh, that we don't, uh, we don't text. It's my only sacred space that I have uh, for my friends. And I need, I need to keep it that way. I know I was talking to my friend who's a real estate agent and for her, it's the complete opposite. And it, it has now informed me that I could never be a real estate agent. So. <laughs> I can't imagine telling people don't, I mean, again, typically like you can text, use SMS in Israel, but it's way, way, way more common. Like the assumption is everyone's WhatsApp. And like to say to someone, I don't want to get messages from you, I think would be taken very poorly. Sometimes people will say, I'm sorry to be disturbing you at this hour. Um, but like just earlier today, I sent a WhatsApp message to our electrician and plumber confirming that he would gotten my bank transfer and like he was fine with that. And I also got a message from like one of my clients confirming that we're on for next week with a meet. Like it's just like super, super usual, normal to, to do that. Um, I'll, I'll add though that again, I have, um, because I'm doing training in certain hours of the day, I remember very well doing launches of products, of projects, of websites. And it's crazy during that time. And I did have clients who would then sort of abuse the assumption of constant communication. It was usually email, but sometimes they call me at all sorts of crazy hours like, hey, there's a bug, fix it. Um, so I, I think putting limits there or putting limits on, maybe they can try to call you, but your ringer will be off or you won't answer them. But they should understand, you know, if it's not launch week, then I'll get back to you tomorrow. And they'll just have to live with that. Easier said than done, though, I know. Right. Interesting. I mean, I guess the flip side of that, and I'm curious what your policy is, Kai, I guess the flip side of that is I, I don't allow anyone in my text messages, but I always have inbox zero. So all the oh, emails so impressed. are, like, <laughs> <laughs> I have several zeros in my, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so there's no, I guess what I'm saying is there's no reason for anyone to, for anyone to text me because if they send an email that says urgent in the title, it's, it's most likely I'll get it, get back to them within an hour or two. So it's unlikely that, uh, that they would ever need to text me. So I'm Kai, I'm curious what you're. I'm right in the middle, honestly, between the two of you. Like personally, I do not text with clients. Like my phone number is my phone number. Nobody can have it. It's uh, it's private for me just because it's more personal communications, the device I have closest to me most of the time. But that said, there is like this growing category of email or growing category of messages that should be text-based and that are kind of too short and too small for an email. Like you don't need four emails from me saying like, oh, here's a minor update on this thing or FYI, logo needs to be tweaked. 
So it makes sense in this non-email text-based ground. And so I've sort of gravitated towards Slack, both as a personal and a colleague and a private communication channel. Since it's on all the devices, it's similar to WhatsApp in the sense of, oh, you know, we could do text conversations here. And at least with the projects and clients I work with, it's a good middle ground. So I don't think it's the perfect solution. I think I'll probably gravitate towards something else that gives me, you know, a secondary number or this is the app where the client communication happens. It just sits over there. Everything else is my space. But it's an interesting one. I think we're definitely switching towards more frequent, shorter text communication being a norm. But the tool we've used for the last couple of decades, email, it's kind of more in that middle ground of like, oh, this is a project update. This is larger. This is, you know, 500 to 1,000 words. Nobody wants a 1,000 word text message. So I see it shifting more and more. But uh, now it's very much a firm boundary for me. I once or twice have had a client requested, oh, this is a super convenient way for me to communicate. And I just say, it's not for me. These are the ways I could communicate. Let's not do something where I'm going to be flubbing around trying to figure it out. So Let's focus on email and an occasional voice call and Slack messages and, you know, negotiating to something that works for both parties. But it's very much a firm boundary for me. I'm curious, Kai, does that mean that you set up a Slack channel for your clients? Like, how how are they on Slack with you? Oh, really? Yeah, most of the time. uh, I only work with a small number of clients. It's more larger ongoing projects. So with those, I'll either have them invite me into their existing Slack organization if they have one, or just spin up a channel in my business Slack and uh, uh, invite them as a guest to that one channel for, you know, the three-month project duration. Here's where we could talk. But with some clients, it's honestly them saying, oh, you know, I don't really grok Slack. It's not my thing. And so of those, we just focus on email and the occasional voice or video call. So switches back and forth depending on where the client is more of a digital native or digitally fluent. I had a coaching client recently, wonderful experience, but they just were not fluent or really in with Slack. They're in a different sort of part of the world. And so with that, we just switched to email and it worked really, really well. Slight change to like how we're communicating and how frequently we're emailing, but it worked fine. So sort of depends on the context, depends on the situation and depends on the project. When you guys, my question for you guys is, I try to do this as often as I remember, but when you guys have voice or video calls, do you send, I guess this is a two-part question, do you send an agenda before and or do you send a summary afterwards? I always try to send an agenda before. I'm a big believer in the power of agenda. Uh, An early business mentor said to me, and it made a huge impression, If you have an hour-long meeting, spend an hour working on the agenda. Spend at least as much time as you're going to spend in the meeting crafting the agenda or crafting the points you're going to talk through. And that served me really, really well. And just make sure, like, if it's an hour and a half meeting, oh, we better make sure we have stuff to talk through. Let me think through these different points and the decisions we want to reach or make or just talk through. And so it's led to better meetings I lean towards the value in setting a summary, but honestly, most of the time I'm zonked after the meeting and I need to take 30 minutes or an hour just to like sit, meditate, have a drink of water, do something else. And by that time, sending that summary has sort of skipped my mind. But at the end of the meeting, I try to set aside 10 minutes and say, okay, before we wrap, let's talk through the next actions we each have coming out of this. And that works as a great parking lot since the client will say, oh, I'm going to tackle these three things. You're going to tackle this. And I'll say, oh yeah, and I'm also tackling these two things. It just makes it easy for me to share the agenda afterwards. And that sort of acts as that summary. This is what we talked through. These were the decisions. This is who owns the next actions. And then we can move forward and start taking care of the work. 
Yeah. 100% on the next steps because I feel like a lot of times calls, you're throwing so much information at clients or they're making a lot of decisions inside the call that they get pretty exhausted afterwards too, especially if it's something that they're not an expert in. Like we're talking to them in something that we're an expert in. So it's a little bit, it comes a little bit easier to us. It's not as emotionally taxing, but for them having to pay attention and really wrap their head around what you're talking about, clients, I would say 80 to 90% of the time do not know the next steps, even though we've talked to them on the call. So 100%, I would suggest to listeners, if nothing else, definitely I'm on board with like next steps, the things that you've even just like, here's what's next for me. Here's what's next for you. When we're done this, let's circle back and see like what the next steps are after that. Hearing the two of you makes me wonder how I've been in business and survived for so many years, being so incredibly unorganized. Uh, agendas, summaries, holy cow. Uh, I, I mean, like, I do that for, for formal meetings. But again, I think just it, it's that in the last number of years, virtually all of my meetings have been pretty obviously set agendas. Like, okay, we're interested in talking about training for this group. Um, like that's like, there's not much to say other than just get into the meeting and maybe hear a little bit about it. Sometimes there'll be some next steps, you know, some action items for us to do. Typically, it'll be I'll get back to them and say which topics do we or don't we want to talk about. But it's really like pretty pretty simple stuff. However, you did remind me that I have this thing which is completely and utterly unused on my website. That if people want to book an appointment with me on Calendly. They can do that. And on that, it leads them through a bunch of questions um, that are effectively an agenda. Um, quite frankly, the only people who have used this so far are people who click on it and try to set a meeting with me to learn about like individual training. And so I have ratcheted up the warnings on the Calendly form, making it clear this is not for individuals, such that nowadays basically it's useless, raise the question why I have it. But that at least is like, theoretically an agenda of, okay, I need to know who you are, what you're interested in and why you're interested in it. Um, but yeah, it's not nearly as complicated as a regular like web project, marketing project, anything like that. I love that as a nice bit of optimization though. Like anybody could take and apply for a Calendly meeting, just, you know, setting that confirmation email that gets sent and saying, Hey, thanks so much for booking this meeting. This is an initial call. We're going to talk through these three questions and figure out if we could work together it's very much a set it once and then forget about it. You know people are going to receive this. You could follow up. You know the questions they're exposed to prior to the meeting. It's, it's a, I think, a nice bit of optimization just for better initial calls or better meetings overall. Mm-hmm. I would also say what you, what you mentioned, Ruben, I think brings up a really good point in that when you have what you have, is, which is ultimately like a productized service, um, you may not necessarily have to, though. I mean, you said you you don't have like the agendas before and summaries afterwards. But if you have a productized service that you're ultimately selling to like a, as a one to many, um, I don't think that's necessary. So that's almost one of the like bonuses, like the plus side of productized services. Whereas if you're doing something that's very customized to a person's situation, you have to guide them through that process. But if you've got a package ready to go, then I think that's, I mean, that's, I think that's a really good place to be in where you don't have to do um, like extensive summaries and that kind of stuff. If you have something that is set to go in a box, it is what it is, then I feel like that's a really great place to be. 
Yeah, I was just talking to like my my uh, elder daughter about this because like she's in the army now. She's got lots of meetings and is complaining about them. And I was like, you know, I don't remember the last time I had a meeting, <laughs> right? I don't know how I've gotten away with this, uh, except if it's a client saying, listen, we need to talk because things are very good or things are very bad. Um, but that's not like an action item thing. That's uh, we need to re- sort of rethink our relationship. Um, and the good news is that typically because we've had flowing communication, open, a lot of trust built between both sides, that whether it's good or bad, I mean, I'll come away from the bad stuff feeling awful, but at least like we don't need to sort of dance around it. They can actually, we can have this meeting, we can talk about it and try to move forward. I'm still stuck on you having uh, thousands of emails in your inbox. Okay, it's not really thousands. I, I'm very proud of the fact that I'm now down to only like 50 <laughs> or 60. Uh, oh, hell yeah. That seems doable. <laughs> a friend once complained about their inbox to me and I took a look and they, no joke, had like 16,000 unread just in their inbox. And I'm like, at that point, just delete how? them all and start over. Yeah. <laughs> burn it with fire yeah email debt forgiveness when is email debt forgiveness day it's in like april isn't it it's every day it's every day yeah (laughs) i heard of email bankruptcy i never heard of debt forgiveness that's fantastic (laughs) yeah it's on it was on an episode of reply all um where they introduced email debt forgiveness day it was like someday in april where it was basically like erase your entire inbox and you don't have to apologize for it and everyone just forgives each other and starts over whoa in theory, it seems like a beautiful thing, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what the episode is, but we can probably link it if I can find it. This zigs in the other direction uh, towards sending more email, but I've continually been impressed at how impactful uh, just sending follow-up emails is. If you shoot an email to somebody and it's like, oh, they haven't responded in a week or two weeks later, just sending a short follow-up email, checking in on this, or hey, wanted to you know get this to the top of your inbox it almost always generates a reply for me or at least moves a conversation towards like, a, oh, no, sorry, this is not what we're looking for. No need to follow up again. Or, hey, thanks so much. The building was literally on fire the past week. I appreciate you following up. Let's have that conversation. But so often just saying like, oh, my standard operating procedure will be a week after I send an important email. If I haven't gotten a reply yet, I'm going to send off a follow-up email from template or a custom written, whatever it might be, just to nudge them forward, demonstrate you're paying attention to the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. It's so funny. Uh, I actually have one client now who solely relies on my follow-up emails to get stuff done <laughs> <laughs> to a point where now it's become a thing where, and it's funny because I know you were talking a little bit before about uh, how sending like one word or one line emails just doesn't seem to fit the medium. But now I'm so used to it because with this one client, it's got to a point where the email gets lost. I know it's lost for her if it's been a few days. So I literally just put the word bumping in the title and resend it back to her and she knows exactly what it is. So that's, a, I mean, it's a pretty low effort method for me. And now um, I don't know if I've trained her for the positive or negative to become reliant on my, uh, on my follow-up emails. But yeah, a hundred percent, I would say that most of the time the client is not trying to ignore you. They've literally just lost your email, forgotten about it, or don't have the capacity or bandwidth to go looking for it. 
Yeah, complete agreement from me. It, it's really a kindness. It feels like, oh God, I'm intruding, I'm being pushy, mm-hmm. but it's a kindness to send that short response, bump the thread, and it's like, oh, I forgot about this. Thank you. You yeah. found my keys. You found this email for me. Yeah, I've I don't know. When I, people are brand when I get those, I get really annoyed. Oh, sorry, sorry. Really? Yeah, absolutely. It's like, I know about your email. I haven't forgotten it. Now I have two to respond to. Thanks <laughs> a bunch, you jerk. Really? Oh, this is, yeah. I'm like, I'm learning so much about like the individual dynamics and you literally have no idea anytime and it, how anything's going to get received. <laughs> I, I really hate it when people do that. It's like, I don't lose email. I've been using it for 40 years now. Like, like, come on. <laughs> Well, that killed the conversation, didn't it? That's <laughs> no, it's really good to know. And I think if nothing else, it's like I don't know, just work from your best intentions to try to move the project forward and you have no control over how the person's gonna react. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll I'll walk back my follow-up a tiny bit by saying, uh, by modifying it to say it's not something to use with every single email. It's something where it's like, oh, this is a deadline. Either they need to accept a thing or like this proposal expires in three days. Do you want to work together? Follow-ups, I think, are 100% appropriate there. and sort of dropped down depending on the lack of importance or time sensitivity. Hey, I emailed you for a recommendation for a taco place. Please, following up on this, please see previous email. It's like, eh, the, this follow-up was not necessary there. So it definitely isn't a one-size-fit-all strategy. But it is a good one for getting replies to those important emails. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking now in my inbox, and so <laughs> we're we're recording this we're recording this on August 11th. So it seems I'm sure it was just a day or two ago, but it seems that on July 29th, uh, so that's what like two weeks ago, uh, this you know, big company client of mine asked me to send in like a whole bunch of proposals for courses. Uh, so literally like an hour or two ago, their finance person uh, emailed me and said, "Hey, could you send this quote in ASAP? Thanks." So I'm like, oh, they probably have a deadline. And yeah, that's happening in another month or two. So like, fine, I'll, I'll get to it now. And of course, this is training me terribly, right? Like now I know, oh, I can just wait until he sends the, like, please send it. And he's probably rolling his eyes saying, oh my God, I've got to send to Ruben again. But, um, but now I'll actually do it. And I think the fact that like, would you mind doing this? Like just getting the bump thing really drives me bananas. The maybe you didn't see this or I really need it soon um, or things are being held up. That actually, I think, is okay. Yeah, I would also preface, do not just email a client to follow up out of nowhere with the word bump only. (laughs) Only do it if you have, I will preface it by saying, and maybe I I didn't drive home that point, is we have a very established (laughs) seven-year relationship that that's our level of communication. So yes, as a PSA, thank you for the reminder, don't ever send someone... (laughs) A reminder that just says bump. <laughs> that would be very uncouth. So. so so that's that's what I was talking about, right? I've definitely yeah. gotten that. Okay, okay, there you go. Excellent. <laughs> For sure. Okay, I'm dear also, listener, we agree on everything now. All's good. Yeah. But I am really curious because it seems very polarizing, which I'm su- which I'm actually really interested in the fact that there's that it can be that polarizing. So I'm wondering whatever medium you're listening on, whether it's like embedded on the blog post or um it's in iTunes, wherever you can sort of comment or hit us up on Twitter to let us know what sort of side of things you're on. And maybe actually like when this airs, we can put a little poll on Twitter and see, see where people oh, are at. Cause I'm really curious how polarizing this is. <laughs> Follow up emails. Who knew? 
we've only got a couple of minutes left. So I'm curious, what would your sort of one email tip or one client communication tip be for a listener out there? Maybe they're just getting started. Maybe they're established. Maybe they, you know, have an agency, but what's sort of the one uh, uh, piece of wisdom you'd want to share with folks when it comes to having better client communication? And I could kick it off if we want. Go for it. Templates. Do yourself, do future you a favor save that email, save that communication bit, whatever it is, save it as an email template. So next time you need to send the proposal or follow up or say, oh, dear client, it's been great working with you, but I kind of need to fire you because of reasons. You don't have to expend so much energy creating that email again, full cloth, so to speak. Instead, you can have a previous version you've just stashed away, maybe a Notion, maybe a text file, maybe something like a text expander or Alfred just to have it at your fingertips. And then you could start writing there. So I'm a big believer in the power of email templates. I use them continually. And I strongly recommend to listeners, start using email templates. Save that email, save it as a swipe, and then use it as a jumping off point next time you need to send an email like that. Email templates. That's a good one. I'm going to make my tip not about email, if that's okay. Uh, About Zoom, my tip would be ask them if they want to do a video or not. It's a simple question. I think that actually gives them a little bit of relief that it's their call and you're you're fine with both. So my tip would be for client communication over Zoom, just a quick note. Uh, we doing video or not? Either way is good with me. It's totally up to you. And I'd say you want to be clear. You want to like, like so many people, especially when they begin uh, their own business, start their own business, they're convinced, oh, I have to sound very businesslike. I have to use all sorts of fancy language and have long things for yourself be clear. You're trying to build trust and you're trying to get things done. And so if things only take two sentences, write two sentences. And I think it's also, it's also okay to have your own personality in your writing, in email, in communication. Um, like let your big clients be the faceless corporations with no sense of humor. <laughs> I like it. So for uh, picks this week, I'm curious what uh, tools or resource or websites or books, whatever it might be, that uh, we've picked and that we'd recommend to listeners? I've got two picks. Uh, Number one is uh, I love, love, love Michael Lewis's writing. And he, over the last two years, has done this podcast called Against the Rules, where season one was all about who are the judges, who are the referees in the world, in, in many ways in American life. And the second season, as good as the first season one, the second season was second season was even better. It was about coaching. And I think for anyone who is a consultant or freelancer, hearing about different kinds of coaches and what they do and what they don't do and how they're good and they're bad, it was marvelous. It was entertaining. He's fascinating. Tons and tons and tons of fun. Uh, the other pick that I have is a book uh, called The Hardest Job in the World, The American Presidency. And I would argue this is three books in one. Um, number one is it a, it's a book about the past and present and future of the American presidency, what it was designed to do. So if you're into politics, government, political science, history, fascinating stuff. Part two of the book is teaching you what good management is and learning from both successes and failures of these great various presidents, um, sort of what, what they did and how they did it and how they prioritized given an infinite stream of urgent and important things to do. And I would argue that the third yet subtle part of the book is as he goes through the entire history of the presidency and what's expected, subtle and not so subtle digs at Trump 
uh, and how he is not fulfilling the, the 200 some odd years of, of history there. Um, but even if you like him, um, I think the book is, uh, is, and beautifully, beautifully written. I just love John Dickerson's writing. So, uh, two strong picks there. Nice. Uh, I have a book today as well. So the book I have kind of has to do a little bit with our conversations called Radical Candor uh, by Kim Scott. And I think the tagline of the book is say what you mean and mean what you say. And it's a really good book talking about, especially with not only client, but team communication, uh, brevity, getting your point across, and also not overly padding or sugarcoating things, but still um, sort of remaining strong in your word. Uh, yeah, Radical Candor, Kim Scott. It's awesome. I've got a, a couple links you could find in the uh, show notes to your listener on how to send and reply to email and email writing tips. These are a couple of articles from the Wayback Machine or that I've just encountered online in my uh, uh, safariing and just seeing what links have behind them. And uh, these are great. They're full of sort of actionable tips from folks who respond to a lot of email about how to write better emails, respond to emails in a better way. Uh, if you stare at your inbox and you're like, yo, this is an infuriating experience. I keep sending emails and then people keep writing back. How dare they? These uh, articles will make it a much more positive experience or at least open your eyes to some of the tools or resources out there to have a better time uh, dealing with email. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to take the time and uh, subscribe to The Business of Freelancing in your podcast app of choice. And if you like the show or don't like the show, leave us a five-star review in your uh, podcast app of choice. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Business of Freelancing.